Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll go into today uh, where I'm going to be kind of unpacking for us what would be the mission over the next few weeks of Remedy Church. Let's pray. Lord, um, I, uh, I thank you for an opportunity to be able to stand here and, and proclaim your word, proclaim your truth, proclaim the gospel. And I am well aware of my inadequacies and and, and Lord, I just confess that my only hope is you. My only hope is that you would come now by the power of your spirit and empower me to proclaim your good gospel, the great news of our death and our inadequacy and our failure to live according to your standard and our wretched, terrible sinfulness. This is a good gospel because of Christ and how he has come and how he has obliterated Satan, sin, and death. And forgiven us in the cross of Christ. And so God, this is a whole supernatural message that I can't awaken affections. I can't awaken thoughts and desires for Jesus. Only you can. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help me this morning do that. I pray that you would help me speak with clarity. I pray that you would help us all... Um, Get a vision of what it means to be a church on mission because of the gospel of Christ. I thank you, Lord, for Jesus who makes the fact that we can gather here together on a Sunday morning possible. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so last year, I was talking to us... Right around one year ago, and I said before, I was, I was preaching this, uh, not this sermon, but I was preaching a sermon on the mission. And right before I started, I said there's three things that, that if we're not careful, could keep us from really fulfilling the mission of God. There's three things that kind of are characteristic of Remedy Church. Um, and I'm telling you these three things because I think these three things aren't necessarily characteristic of us anymore. So this is, this is to encourage us. Um, and then I have, after that, maybe two more things this year that we just need to be watching out for. I don't think these are necessarily bad, but last year was more of a rebuke. Today is not a rebuke. Last year I said there's three things that characterize us that we need to be warned about. The first thing was knowledge. That we, as um, a people in this uh, church, Learn, 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 learn theology. And we love that. And if we're not careful that we could be um, so filled with the things of God, knowledge of God, that it's not transforming us and not transforming us into action. Um, the next thing is busyness. That a lot, a lot of us find ourselves so busy with life that we fail to prioritize, and I hate to use that word, Jesus at the top of things and put him at the most, as the most important thing in our life that maybe some things shouldn't be in our life because it takes away from our priorities of Jesus. And the third thing I said was laziness. Um, at the time, there seemed to just be a lot of people that weren't using their time for useful contribution. Um, and so those three things were things that I think that we needed warning on. And I was kind of thinking about it this year, and I don't see necessarily those three things predominant in our, in our church anymore, which I think is a good thing. So God, by His grace, has kind of brought us from those things. But there's two things I want to say um, in the future, and these aren't necessarily sinful things. These are just two things that we need to kind of be thinking about, open to, and ready for as we go into uh, another year. 
the first thing is that um, that we stay open to new people. And what I mean is, when we first started the church, we were kind of desperate for people. You know, when anybody showed up that was new, we're like, there's a new person. We'd all kind of run over there and crowd around them. And they're like, all right, how you doing? You know, there's a lot of people. And so um, we wanted people so bad that whenever they would get there, you know, we would, we were very, like, not in attack mode, but kind of in attack mode. Like, there's a new person, let's shake their hand, let's get them plugged in, you know, those kind of things. Um, and so <clears throat> I think that we've kind of let that become part of our culture. And it's not like a crazy way. Not, don't leave if you're brand new and thinking they're crazy. Um, <laughs> it, we kind of made it part of our culture that when we, when we gather together or whenever we're in corporate settings or whenever we're in groups, that we don't necessarily try to stay in that. But if there's someone new that we want to go to them, and it's weird because I think, as I've been thinking about it, we're a church filled with introverts. There's a couple exceptions. Um, one of them's gone, and, and there's one other one that I can think of. And that's all I can think of. Like, so we're a church filled with, with a lot of introverts. Um, but I think that, I mean, I'm an introvert as well. We've all kind of made ourselves go to people and, and make them feel welcome and say hello to them. And, and the, the, the danger or just the, the warning I want to give us is this. Um, as we continue going, we could start finding ourselves not being that way. As maybe we start getting more people, because in the beginning we're just like, there's a person, we've got to get them. Um, as we start kind of growing, we might find ourselves not feeling that desire. Like we have people now, you know, so maybe we don't have to do that. Um, but that's not the best, and that's not necessarily the way people are going to meet Jesus, because we don't know where people are spiritually when they visit us. So we want to continue in that culture of reaching out to people and making them feel comfortable. Um, we want to maintain and be careful to, to be vigilant with a Christ-like gospel intentionality of treating others the way that they would want to be treated. Treating others the way they want to be treated. When, if, if someone comes to church, they've already done what is the hardest thing, gone into a brand new place where they don't really know anybody. That's the hardest thing for them to do. And they've already done it. So we should gospel um, our li- live our lives according to the gospel, that we want to treat each other the way they want to be treated. That's not the gospel I know, but that's gospel intentionality. Um, I'm going to talk about the gospel soon. The next thing is this. Um, the next thing that I say that we need to kind of be thinking about as we, as we go into this year is that we need to be open to change. We need to be open to change. When we first started, any change in the church wasn't really a large change because there wasn't a whole lot of things to change. Um, and it wasn't these big things we had to do. Um, but... However, if God, over this next semester or this next year, blesses us more than, how, than He already has, and He's already blessed us, and we start seeing even more growth, not just with you here spiritually, but even more people, um, more people start meeting Christ, and our community groups start expanding, those kind of things. Um, we need to be open to that. This should be a time where we can be, because we might see higher, bigger levels of change as a church that's a year and a half old rather than six months old. Um, and we need to be open to that. We don't want to um, complain that things aren't the way they used to be, but we want to rejoice that God is doing a new work here in the church. So that's really the two kind of things I, I was thinking about this week, of things that we can, we can be on the lookout for. Um, neither one of those things are sinful, but it's just things we want to be on the lookout for. Now, today, um, as we've said, we're going to be going over what is the mission of Remedy Church, the mission of Remedy Church. And I've got six pages um, that I've written for this sermon. 
And there's no way I'm going to do all six. There's just no way. Um, I, I don't even think I'll get through the second page. And so you can see that that's kind of my plan is that it's either going to take us two or three sermons for me to kind of unpack to us the mission of Remedy Church. Now, if you're here for the very first time, this is, this is as Tim said, a good week for you to be here because you're going to get to, in some of these very beginning weeks, just know who we are, know what we're trying to accomplish, and, and know how... We think God is leading us as a church to, to move and, and work in the city. If you're here and you've been here the, since the day one, this is for you and, and, and me a good reminder of this is who God has called us to be. Um, this is the mission of Remedy Church and this is who we are. Uh, now, we do have um, a new mission statement that's been rewritten, which I'm going to get to. I am going to get to. Uh, the thought behind it hasn't changed. There's still the truth behind it and the reason why we wrote the first one the first way and, the, and this one, um, they're still the same, but it's been, been reshaped, been rewritten. So let me, let me kind of explain some things to you before we get to that. The first thing is, um, I was reading through systematic theology this past week, just wanting to get a, a re, um, re-understanding or a new understanding, maybe not new, but um, I was reading through his, his chapter on the church. What is the church and what is the church all about? And this is what he says. His Wayne Grudem systematic theology, his definition of the church is the church is the community of all true believers for all time. The church is the community for, for, of all true believers for all time. So um, that's the church global. That's every person that's ever been a Christian that has lived for all, per, for all time. That's the church. But we also have this dynamic of, of the local church. That's all over the world, local bodies gathering together, being the church itself. Um, and we want to talk about what is the church about? What, th- that's kind of what is the church. But what I want to talk about here is um, what's the church all about? Specifically Remedy today. What is Remedy all about? The church is not about you and the church is not about me. The church is not about having... Um, our needs met. The church isn't about me getting to stand up here and preach every week. Um, that's not what the church is all about. The church is all about one person. His name is Jesus. That is what the church is all about. The church is about His glory, His gospel, and His mission. That's what we are supposed to be about. So, before we get into the mission of Remedy Church, I want to unpack for us what is the gospel. Because the gospel is what is going to um, drive everything for us. The gospel is the reason why we gather every single week. The gospel is the point of us having a mission statement as a church. Now, if you would, you can flip with me to Psalm, Psalms chapter 14. Psalm chapter 14. And I want to read you some texts here. And just in a, uh, in a real, not necessarily brief, but somewhat brief way, let us see the gospel. And here's the thing. Um, if you've spent time in church for any measure of time, you've heard people say the gospel and and. You've heard people explain it to you, and I, and I know that if you've been in church a while and you're a believer for a while, you probably have some good handle on what the gospel is. So what I'm, what I'm praying and what, what I want you to, to really get a hold of is um, we should not just kind of 
approach the gospel in a familiar way. Yeah, I have that down. Let's move on. I'm praying that this morning for you and for me, the the, the truth of this, the weight of this, the thing that shapes everything, the reason why we have a mission is because of this, that it would hit us in a new and fresh way and invigorate us to want to leave worshiping. That we would never find ourselves getting over the gospel. We would never find ourselves not feeling the weight of the sin that was on our shoulders and the fact that Jesus took all of this off of us by his death on the cross. Psalm 14 gives us a little bit of picture of who we were before Christ. This is what it says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And you think, I've never said that. Before Jesus, we all said that. They are corrupt. This is describing you and I before Christ. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Let the weight of these verses fall on your shoulders new and afresh. This is who you and I were before Jesus. If you don't know Him, this is who you are at this moment. There is none who does good. You you may say, I do good all the time. I care for people. I help them. All those things. Every act, every single act that's ever done with good intention, if it's not done for the glory of Jesus, is not a good act. Every act we do, if it's not done for the glory of God alone, it's not good. That's why God would say to us, there is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand. Are there? Are there any people that walk around on the face of the earth that understand prior to knowing Jesus? To see if there are any who understand who seek after God, they all, they have all turned aside. Every single one of us have turned aside. No one in this room, in their own power, seeks after God. And this is good news. Why is this good news? We're going to see why. This is all, it seems like really bad news right now. But it becomes good. Verse 3. They have all turned aside. All turned aside. Together. Meaning everyone in this room and everyone in the world. Together. They have become corrupt. Which is why prior to the fall, Adam had what was known as a perfect human nature. And at the fall... He and everyone who's born in the line of Adam, that's all of us, now have a corrupt human nature. And one day when we're fully redeemed, our human nature will no longer be, be corrupt, but reconciled, but will be made new and will be returned to the same condition that we were pre-fall in Adam. But now in Christ. They have turned aside, they have all become corrupt, There is no one, there is none who does good. Not even one. 
Have they no knowledge? Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my he eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. There is no what this verse is saying is that there is no capacity in you before Christ to even have knowledge of the fact that you're outside of Christ unless he comes and awakens your soul. Verse five says there they are in great terror for God is with the regeneration of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Now we can see here in these first six verses that the news is devastating to the human race. That every single one of us, all of us, have turned aside, have become corrupt, that we no, none of us seek God, we all do abominable deeds, and we're all never going to do good, not even one. And so you can hear in verse 7, the writer starts feeling the weight of this on his soul. I know who I am now before God. I know who all of us are now as a race, a human race are before God. And this is what his cry is. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. I see the fact that I'm so sinful. I have no hope. I need salvation. I have nothing unless Jesus himself, unless God himself comes and pours out salvation for us, Israel. Now we know from the New Testament that Israel, from Romans 9, where he says, some who are Israel are not Israel. And so we know that those that are Gentiles can now be engrafted into Israel. And so we're not just talking about a race of people when he says they're Israel, but we're talking about those who put their faith in Jesus. That salvation would come. And so we can see here that there's a desperation in Psalm 14, that we're outside of relationship with God because of our wretched sinfulness. And that we are declaring with Psalm 14, 7, that we need salvation. Now let's flip over to Ephesians 2. And we're going to kind of see the New Testament version a little bit of this. But then, from this side of the cross, what the answer is. Verses 1 through 3 are kind of explaining that same scenario in Psalm 14. And you... We're dead. We're in Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So this is even a little bit more descriptive. All right? It wasn't that just that we weren't doing good. It wasn't just that we were corrupt. Now the Bible's telling us that spiritually, spiritually, we have been born dead. Not bad. Dead. Dead people can't do anything. If, you, if we had a coffin here and all of a sudden this dead man just started getting up on his own volition and started walking around, we'd be freaked out. Dead people don't do anything. You know what dead people do? They lie there dead. That's what they do. Other than that, unless someone, specifically only God, would come touch them and awaken them, they can't do anything. 
And this is our description. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. So therefore, since you have been born in the line of Adam, and all of us are corrupt, and all of us have sinned, we've now found ourselves dead. No hope. Oh, that salvation would come! Because we're dead. In which you once walked. Now Paul's talking to Christians. He's helping them see where they came from. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, in which you once walked, following the course of the world. Listen to this line. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. Prior to Jesus, all of us were dead in our trespasses, following Satan. The weight of this is devastating on our shoulders. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So there are some out there that are still outside of Jesus. And that spirit is still at work in them. The sons of disobedience. We were at one time followers of the prince of the power of the air. Followers of Satan. Among, look look what he says. Who does that include? Look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived. And the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The news could not get any worse until verse 4, where it all turns and just becomes incredible. So we know our, our, our description before God, and we know our description before the gospel. And then it says, But God, there was no hope. And there would be no hope without this. But God. You you need to feel the weight of this. Don't just kind of glance over these first two words and say, Yeah, I've heard this before, but I got it. But God. He could have easily... And he would have been totally just to let us just live out the passions of our flesh and continue down that road. And when we die, he would be totally just in saying, the the right punishment for me is to let you have what you've always wanted. Hell. But I'm not going to do that. But God, being rich in mercy... As we're walking down that path, God in His mercy, God in His love is stopping. And He's saying, you don't have to fulfill. You don't have to walk down what you want right now. I'm going to, as Jeremiah 31 says, put in within you a new heart. Give you new desires. Change everything. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. The only way a dead person can be made alive is if God himself does it. God made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. What does it mean to be made alive with Christ? What does that mean? Two pages over. Galatians 2.20. This is what it means to be made alive with Christ. 
made alive with Christ. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. So if God made us alive in Christ, something had to happen. If we were dead and that our right punishment was death, then that means someone has come and died for us on our behalf. And now we're getting life. Now we know that Jesus came and died on the cross for us. This is the message of the New Testament, that he came and died for us on our behalf. And when he did, all of the wrath and punishment of God was poured on him. And so when he looks at him, he sees him as sinful. And all of the righteousness that Jesus, because he lived a perfect life, all the righteousness that he achieved is given to us. So what are we supposed to think about when we talk about being made alive with Christ? This is what verse 20 says. I have been crucified with Christ. So when Jesus hung on the cross, I'm supposed to reckon or count that as me myself. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I I, I feel like I'm walking around right now and if I pinch myself, I feel it. I feel like it's me. Like if if you were to hit me in the face, I would feel that. I don't understand what that means. How am I supposed to say it's no longer I who live because as I walk around, I feel myself living. I can put my hand on my heart and feel my heart pounding. I can feel blood going through my veins. But Paul tells us we, we reckon or we count that death on the cross as ours. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So if we say, all right, I'm going to count that death as mine, then who's living in me now? Whose life is this now? Where I still know that I'm walking around, breathing and living. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, as you walk around, you are supposed to count yourself dead and that Jesus is the one who's living his life through you now. Well, that that radically changes everything. Ephesians 2 now says that we've been made alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And verse 6 says, And raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you notice the verb tense of that? Can, Can you notice the verb tense of that? And raised us up with Him. That That's past tense. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. We're in this, this, this place now where it's an already not yet. I'm sure you maybe have heard this before. It's an already not yet. It's already true that we have been raised up with him. And we, it's already true that we have now been seated with him. But not yet. And we live in this, this weird place. Where the truth of the scriptures, what is what is been said from the scriptures about us is that that we are raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. This is what's known as a positional truth. So how? How is it if we just, in these few verses, 
see some things about ourselves. That if we're in Christ, it's no longer us who are living, but Jesus living his life through us. That we've been raised up with him and that we are seated with him now. So Christian, how can you continue to live selfishly and give yourself into sin? It doesn't make any sense. How can we not live on his mission when it's not even our life anymore? It's not just the, the mission of Remedy Church that it's about his glory, his gospel, and his mission. It's what we're supposed to be living out personally in our life, whether we attend Remedy or whether we attend ABC, XYZ Church, wherever we live. These are the things that are true of us. So that, why did he do this? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable riches. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Let the, the unbelievable statement of verse 8 land on you. Knowing that you were an enemy of God, that you had nothing good in you, that you were corrupt, that you did no good, that you never lived for the glory of God, that all you did was worship the prince of the power of the air. And now, verse 8, for by grace, God in his rich mercy has extended to you salvation by no merit of yours, but only by grace through faith, which is a gift. We're going to see this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. You didn't conjure up faith on your, on your own doing. It is the gift of God. He gave you the faith in which to put in Him. Why did He do that? Not a result of works, so that no man may boast. If you just conjured it up on yourself, you would say, look at me, I had the faith. I'm so good. It's not so that you receive glory. It's not so that you can boast, but all the glory goes to Him. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has even, in eternity past, set before us good works that we should be doing. They're just, from eternity past, from the beginning of the world, there they are, prepared, and that He is waiting for us to walk in them. Amazing thought that we all have good works laid out before us that He is just waiting to say, fulfill this, fulfill this, fulfill this. So this is why, this is why there's a mission. And if we can get a, a grasp of this, if we can get a vision of this, then the way we view church and church attendance and why we're in a church, we would view it much differently. We wouldn't think that, and it's just kind of, I'm not saying that we do this. I'm not saying that we at Remedy do this. I'm saying that it's, it's commonplace in our country. And I've had conversations with people that have left our church already where it's very much a consumeristic mentality. It's not a mission. It's you don't have this. And so since you don't have this, I want to go to a church that has this. I want that. If we can fill in the blank. If you go to a church and say, if they just had that, then I would want to go there. 
That's consumerism. That's not mission. (laughs) We want you to go to a church because you want to be on mission with God because of this great gospel which He's given us. So church isn't a place to come and consume and just attend on Sunday. It's something much larger. It's a place where we get to, because of the kindness extended to us in Christ Jesus, get to come into a family of people and receive encouragement and receive love and receive accountability and receive. But also we get to join in with the church and be on mission. We get to walk in those good works explained to us in Ephesians 2.10. We get to go and be on His mission, which is to go and find more people that don't know Christ. That's part of the mission. Find more people that don't know Christ and bring them in. We also get to care for one another and we also get to give glory to God. It's Ephesians 3.10. It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Now, in Systematic, I was reading, and um, every mission statement you ever read will kind of have three main components. I mean, from any church ever, they'll, they'll usually kind of capture these three things. Um, and... That's because that's, that's the biblical basis. Like if you search through the scriptures and you pull out all the verses that you can even remotely find about church, <clears throat> then you'll see that there's three main things that churches are supposed to be accomplishing. All right? First is, these are from Grudem, not mine. I had other words, but they're not as cool as his or easy to remember. Uh, the first one is min- ministry to God. Ministry to God. And I just say that glorifying God. Ministry to God, which is... Worship fulfills a major part of the church. The first thing that we should be doing, as every church should be doing, is worshiping and bringing glory to God Himself. So there's a ministry to God. The next thing is a ministry to believers. So there's a ministry to God, and then there's a ministry to believers. Um, The church is obligated to nurture and build up those who are believers to be mature believers. So there's, there's the idea where we worship God, and then there's a second idea, which is there's people inside here who are believers. And the job of the church, the function of the church, the mission of the church is, yes, to worship God, but also to see those people that are in the church and to disciple them, to grow them up in their faith, to see them become mature worshipers of Jesus. So we want to disciple and care for people as well. There's people in our church that are Christians that need care at some times. They, they um, have a tragedy happen in their house and, or in their home and in their family, and we need to go care for them. That's the second thing. Worship to God, ministry to God, ministry to believers. And the third thing is ministry to the world. This is the evangelistic work of the church. This is where we go declare the gospel um, to the people that are in the world that don't know Jesus. This is reaching the lost and caring for them. That's the three main things that all churches should have in their, in their mission statement. And, and really, three main things that all churches should be doing. Worshiping, ministry to God, worshiping by our ministry to each other, ministry to believers, caring for, seeing them be discipled, and then ministry to the lost. Now, um, every biblical mission statement will have those three things. One important thing is that we want to keep these three things in balance. Um, We can't say which one of these is more important. 
that's not necessarily a great way to ask the question. Um, because all three of these things are commanded in the Bible. All three of these things are important. None of these three things can be neglected. Um, in fact, where we see a church um, have effective ministries in all of these three areas, then we see a healthy church. But if there's ever an attempt in a church to make one of these churches primary, they will inevitably neglect the other two. And we're not, we're not supposed to do that. We're commanded to, to do all three. Now here's, here's one other thing. This is a key. Individuals are different than churches. This is the mission of the church. The church should be doing those three things. Individuals are different than the church. Which means this. Everybody here in this church, we're part of a body. One of you is the ear. One of you is the nose. One of you is the hand. One of you is the foot. We've all been gifted differently. So you may be one that, that fulfills primarily one of the three. But collectively together, we will, we, we will fulfill, that's tough to say, we will fulfill, it's like a rap song, all three of them together. Um, now, here's one last thing on that, okay? Because you can say, if I heard that, this is honest, if I heard that, I would say, well, that sounds good, because my ministry is fill in the blank, and I'm just going to do that one, and I'm let the body take care of the other two, because I really like that one. You know, for me, it would probably be uh, ministry to believers. I, want, I love to disciple and teach and, and talk about theology and call people that are Christians into stronger, more mature walk with faith. And, and I would, because I'm an introvert and scared of, of people I don't know, kind of venture away from the ministry to unbelievers. I wouldn't, I don't know that I would necessarily, <laughs> hopefully, praise God, um, venture away from the ministry to God. I love worship. But when I say that we're a body and that we're supposed to collectively fulfill all these things together, it doesn't mean that I just get to concentrate on my one and neglect. As individuals, individuals we still have to try to fulfill these three things, but as a body, we should see the, all three of these things happening in our church. Um, I would encourage you, I don't have time today, but read 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 26. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 26 on what the body looks like and, and that one's no more important than the other. And just because you like to work behind the scenes, it doesn't mean that you're any less significant than, than someone who stands on the stage because we're all the same here. We're all the body. All right, so... Our old mission statement, our old mission statement, I was right, I'm already out of time. Our old mission statement was this, Remedy Church exists to build a biblical community in our city so that together we can know, seek, love, serve, and glorify Jesus. No, and you can see this wordy, and um, I, don't, I don't think it's wrong, uh, but we've been over the entire summer trying to think about it and, and rewrite it and rephrase it so that while we definitely talk about the three things that every church should have, make it maybe a little bit more memorable, um, make it easy to memorize, and every church is going to have this, um, and, and we're going to have it too. After you've, I wrote that before we even started, 
And so we're a year and a half in, and actually I wrote it about six months before we even started. So it's been two years since I even wrote that. Um, once you get in, you kind of look around and you say, is there a way that we can, according to where we are, is there a way that we can rewrite it? Is there a way that we can say it better? And, and I'm not, you know, who's to know? Two years from now, we could rewrite the one we have now. Um, but this is, this is the new one. Remedy Church exists to glorify God by calling all peoples into fellowship with Him and with one another through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can just see that there's a ton of verses that kind of talk about that. And the reason why we've rewritten it, let me just kind of explain some, some things about the rewriting of it and why we, we think this is better. First, um, the old one says, Remedy Church exists to build a biblical community. So it doesn't speak of the glory of God first. You can see in this one is, Remedy Church exists to glorify God. So the primary, like the first couple words are, we exist to glorify God. That's what we want to do. By calling all peoples into fellowship. So you can see that the ministry to other people that aren't, that aren't Christians, ministry to other people, by calling them into fellowship with Him. And then you can see with one another. You can see that there's this component of how we want to build community in here. Through Jesus Christ. You can see that just those three words capture for us what I talked about from the very beginning. The gospel is the only way that we can see lost people get converted. And then it says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can even see in there the Trinity. Remedy Church exists to glorify God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's lots of things in there. Now, um, there's five main ways or five what, there's five things that are really important to us as a church. We call them core values. Five core values that right now, and as I said, um, as God continues to move us and we, we become hopefully more mature in Christ and, and, and praise, we were praying that we would be able to see things better, that we could maybe even um, rewrite or, or re-say some of these things even better. But right now, there's, there's five core values that are going to help us accomplish that mission statement. Remedy Church exists to glorify God by calling all peoples into fellowship with Him and with one another through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Five things that are key to us, that are core to us, that we, we hold to. And by these five things, we hope to see that mission statement happen. Before I tell you the five, I want to just say, um, Jesus is over all five of these core values. Okay? Um, he's not one of the core values. It's not like we're going to say, Jesus is one, and Scripture is one, and community... Jesus is an a core value among others. Jesus is the main thing over all the core values. That's why Jesus isn't in the core values because Jesus is in all five of them. So you, if you want to, if you really feel the need to, when we say scripture, sufficiency of scripture because of Jesus, and then we can, we can put Jesus in all five if you want. So I didn't want to put Jesus as a core value and just say, well, Jesus is first and he's kind of equal to scripture and he's kind, that's kind of equal to community because we're just saying Jesus is over all these. All right. He is primary over everything. Um, these are our five core values. And we as Remedy Church should constantly strive to know what we're for. We should constantly strive to know what we're for and speak 
um, about what we're for more than what we're against. I mean, there is, there's a ton of core values that churches can have. These are our five. This is who God's kind of wired us as. There are a ton of core values that churches can have. And I'm not saying that our five are better than theirs. These are our five core values that are going to help us accomplish our mission statement. And these are the things that we want to be about. So we're going to talk about what we're for. And these are the five things we're for that help us accomplish the mission statement. I don't think I'm going to get to talk about any five of them today. Um, The first one is the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture or just Scripture alone. The next one is equipping for ministry or missional living. Equipping for ministry. First is the sufficient scripture. We want the Bible to be primary in our lives. And and I'll talk about next week, obviously, how this plays out in the life of Remedy Church. The next one is equipped for ministry, missional living. And and the idea on that is just um, we want to, as much as we can, take away the idea that the leadership does the ministry and we kind of just watch them and we give them some money weekly so that they can do the ministry. And we want to erase that. The idea is that every one of us are to be equipped to do the work of ministry. I am no more important than you. You are no more important than I. We are all working together so that we're all on mission, living missionally, that everyone is being equipped for missional living. The next one is this, service, service, um, that Remedy Church would be marked by service. Service not just to those who are outside the faith, outside the church, but service to those who are inside the church. That we would want to serve. I mean, we, the name is Remedy, right? Um, the next one is worship. Worship. We believe that worship is not just gathering together, singing songs corporately, but it's also our lifestyle. And all of that is based on the gospel. We'll talk about that later. And the fifth one, which Tim talked about last week, is community. These five things we believe, community. Um, I don't think I need to unpack community at all. Tim did it last week for 45 minutes, so, um, <clears throat> which I will actually later. But <laughs> that'll be in two weeks. That'll just be a reminder. So, and all I'm going to do is just tell you what Tim said. Um, so those five things, those five things right there, are the five things that we think will help us fulfill our mission. So let me just kind of backtrack with us all to the main point that I was trying to make the entire time. Cameron, you can go ahead and come out. I don't don't know where you are. Um, The main thing right now for us is this. Every one of us, because we're born in Adam, every one of us, because... We have been born with a corrupt human nature, walked as enemies. We walked as enemies of the gospel. None of us was willingly choosing to follow Christ. Even the good acts that we were doing were not for the glory of Him prior to Jesus. And because of the gospel, because Jesus has come, because Jesus has... died on the cross for us. By faith, if we say, yes, I count His death as my own and I am going to be crucified with Him and I count that work on the cross as my death and by faith, I put my faith in Christ and I want to receive His righteousness and live for Him. We get to be counted righteous. You 
now have no record, no record of wrong before the Creator of the world. That should just astonish us. Every week, every sermon, every Sunday, there should not be a time where you don't hear from me a reminder of the gospel, that it's all based on that. Not just your salvation, not just your justification, not just your right standing with God, but the way you're going to live your life the rest of your life. The only way that you're going to walk with Christ, the only way that you're going to be more Christ-like, what we call sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus, is based on the gospel. All of it is based on that. And so perhaps this morning, um, you've kind of assumed or forgotten, or maybe, um, I'm so guilty of this, forgotten the greatness of the gospel. Forgotten what it means to be redeemed, completely washed clean because of his death on the cross. And it's not affecting the way you live. And I just want to invite you into this morning a changing of your mind. Invite you in this morning to saying, I want to worship. I want to leave on mission. I don't, I don't want to live my life just on my own flesh, carrying out the desires of what I want. Because I've been redeemed. I want to walk away today worshiping. I want to walk away today being on mission for God because of what He's done for me in Christ Jesus. We're going to go into a time of worship now. And however God's leading, maybe maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need to talk. Um, maybe you need to just pray where you are. Maybe you need to confess that you haven't been on mission for a while. You were, but now you're not. Maybe just the truth and the greatness of the gospel has just kind of slipped your memory, slipped away from your affections. The love of Christ in the gospel has kind of waned, and now you need to pray for it to come back. I, I, I don't know. But I would love, I would treasure the opportunity to be able to pray for you, to be able to talk with you. Here's why, okay? Here's why. It's not because um, I'm the pastor and that's what I'm supposed to say. It's really not, that's not why. It's because I'm no different than you. And I experience this all the time just like you do. And I care about you. And I want to pray for you. And I want to encourage you that we would be together, you and I and everyone in the church would be together on mission. On mission for God. So if you want prayer, please come talk to me. I'm going to be right here for the, for the set if you want to talk. Let me pray. Father, truthfully, it's a scary and 
daunting, just scary thought that I could live my entire life redeemed but not be on mission. And I I don't want that to be said of me. I don't want that at the end of my life when I look back. I'm so thankful for salvation, but I didn't live differently. I, I didn't live on mission. I didn't change my patterns of living and, and want to walk in such a way where I wanted to proclaim the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. I didn't want to stop sinning currently in my life and I didn't want to live a life of worship. I just wanted to be thankful that I wasn't going to hell and then do my thing. And God, that is tragically and sadly without the work of Christ in my life, my propensity. And that's all of our propensity. And so, Father, for us who have been on mission and lived for your glory and found ourselves in a different place than where we want to be, I pray, God, that you would renew that passion. That we would, because of your great love with which you loved us, we would want to live on mission. That we would want to worship with our life. Be with us now as we worship. Be with my friends here whom I love deeply. Holy Spirit, come comfort now. Show them the beauty of Christ and His cross. That they would want to live and walk with Him. Because once we were a people saying, Oh, that salvation would come. And Jesus has come. Praise be to God that Jesus has come. And we have salvation in Him alone. Be with us now as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.